Good morning, Canyon Hills. So glad that each and every one of you are here this morning as we are just kickstarting a brand new series this morning from the book of James called Just Do It. You know, every time that I see this title, I, I think of like Joey Tribbiani saying it, like, just do it, right? It's, it's, it's just hard. So if I say that, I apologize in advance, right? But if you take a moment to open up your Bibles or turn in your tablets or in your Kindles or your iPads or your personal memorization of scripture, whatever you have inside of you, if you could open up to the book of James, we'll be looking today primarily in chapter one, but because we're studying the book of James, go figure that this is where we're going to be for the rest of the series. It's going to be pretty cool. You could also find your notes outline and pass, or, uh, take a look at that and then pass the basket of pins down your row so everyone has something to write with. That would be fantastic. Now, before we get started, I want to tell you about a story that I read. It's a story about a young boy who was staring at a plaque on the wall in the lobby of a church. It was a plaque that had a bunch of names written on it with two American flags mounted on either side of it. And it caught the attention of, of one of the pastor buyers. So he came by to ask the young boy what it was that he was staring at. But before he could ask, the young boy spoke up and he asked, what is this? Why are all these names here? So the man looked at the plaque and, and realizing what it was, he said with a heavy heart, this is a list of all of our young, and men, our young women and men who have died in service. And they both just kind of sat there for a moment, soberly looking just taking it in, the sacrifice and, and the extent of life that was paid for us to be here today. And after some time had passed, the little boy spoke up with a little quiver and fear in his voice, and he said, which service, the 9 or 1045? <laughs> you know, this morning, I don't want to talk about death and sacrifice. What I want to talk about is life, about real Christian living in a real world. And if I could expand upon that a little bit more, real Christian living in a real world that is anything but Christian, anything that doesn't even look like it. And we're going to be studying through this book of James because James has so much to say about this. And I am so excited that I get to kick off this series because one of my favorite things to do when reading a book for the first time, or when I begin a new series study, or when I start to engage in a new series, I like to look at the background the context, the geography, the history, the original language, the author, the audience. I like to look at all of these pieces to help paint a better picture of what it is that I'm reading, to help me kind of get in the mindset as if I was actually there listening to someone in the audience. And so I invite you this morning just to come on a journey with me as we go through the first eight verses of the book of James. And we're going to look at some of that context. I'm going to throw some Greek at you. We're going to look at some maps. There's going to be some pictures. It's going to be a really impactful moment because it's going to put you in a different mindset rather than just kind of, okay, I hear it, but I don't know what to do with it. You'll begin to understand why James wrote in the manner that he did. So to start off, I think that we need to address right off the bat the name of this book, the book of James, right? If we had to guess, who do we think would have written this book? John, loved it, heard John. No, it's, yeah, it's James, right? It's not like, oh, it's Bertha wrote the book of James. It's, it just doesn't happen like that. We know that James is a writer of this book. And we know that because even in James 1.1, it says James. It's like he identifies himself even. But the problem with this is, is that we see four different James that are mentioned inside of the New Testament. 
And I'm going to put them up on the screen behind me because I think it's important for us to look at these. The first one that we have is James, the son of Zebedee, who was the brother of John. We had James, the son of Alphaeus, who was known as James the Lesser. We had James, who was the father of this apostle named Judas. And we had James, the half-brother of Jesus, also known as James the Just. Now, looking at their lifespans, the, the time that they were alive, the geographical areas that they existed, what we see from other bits and pieces of scripture, most theologians commonly associate this book to this fourth James, James, the half-brother of Jesus. And if it is this James, it's kind of ironic because if you know the background, if you research into his history, you'll see that he had some reservations, some hesitations about truly believing that his half-brother Jesus was the savior of the world, was a Messiah. And it was ironic because he's going to be this influential man who's writing a book, and yet he himself even had doubts. He even himself questioned who Jesus really was. And it wasn't until after Jesus had been resurrected that Jesus was back upon the earth again, and he confronted James that James truly started to believe. But not only that, that James became a great man of faith and even a leader in the Jerusalem church. And as being a leader of the Jerusalem church, it put him in a very specific and strategic place to where he could write, to where he could distribute information to the people. Now, James was no stranger to sin or no stranger to struggling and pain in his life. I'm sure being a part of the family of Jesus, it had a lot of persecution. Being a leader of a church in a very violent area in the world had its persecution, had its trials, had its pain. And so James, as he's writing, he's kind of looking into this as he's addressing his audience. And we know that his audience, as he alludes to, is the 12 tribes that have been scattered amongst the land. They're called the diaspora. This 12 tribes that have been scattered all throughout the land, going even throughout Palestine. These Jewish Christians and non-Christians who had been exiled from their home. You see, during the time that this letter was written, somewhere between mid 40 AD to the early 50 ADs, there was a massive continuance of a Roman persecution in the land. As Rome was expanding and, and pushing its empire further and further, anything that disagreed with Roman rule or Roman ideology was seen as a threat. And so the Romans would come and they would push people out of their lands, take of their possessions, remove them from their families. And so a lot of these Jewish Christians had been exiled. They had been deported. They lost their livelihoods. They lost their jobs. They lost their families, their resources. They're in a foreign land, not knowing what's going on. And not only that, but when they found themselves in these foreign lands, even their own brothers and sisters started to take advantage of them started to pressure them and to persecute them. And it became this dog-eat-dog -dog Christian mentality where they caved in to worldly desires, to hatred for one another, to hatred for their situation. They lost a love for each other. They lost their true identity of who Christ had created them to be. And James, he sees this. James recognizes this. And being in his position, he has the ability to address this. How can I write in such a manner that it would alleviate the pain and the suffering that people face when they're in the midst of a trial in life? And so in five very pointed, very short chapters, James sets out to accomplish this. And that's what we want to kind of look at as we go through this series. So with that in our minds as the background, 
Let's take a look at how James starts off to address this. We're going to read through the first eight verses today. And I'm going to read it from the NASB version, the New American Standard. It says this, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He continues on, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Very powerful, a very impactful verse, set of scripture here. But it's also a little bit difficult for us to understand. And I want to read it one more time to you this morning, but I want to read it from another translation that can kind of help fill in some of those pieces or those questions that we have, maybe that James is trying to allude to. And it comes from the message translation. And it says this, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. Because people who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way. Adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. See, what James is telling his readers and what he's telling us is that when we find ourselves in these moments of trials and tribulation, when we're in pain, when we're suffering, that we should rejoice, that we should endure through them. And the actual Greek word that James uses here is this word, which it means to consider. It's a mental action. It means to carefully consider the situation or circumstances you find yourself in, and then to react upon it in a positive manner. So essentially he's saying, when you're in pain, when you're suffering, when you're being tested, when you're facing trials, you're to stop. You're to take a stock of everything that's going around and then positively respond to that moment. Isn't that such a backwards way of thinking? It's such countercultural to how we live our lives. I don't want to stop when I'm hurt. I don't want to react positively when I hurt. I want revenge. I want to be sheltered from the pain. I want to be pampered when I'm suffering. I want to be taken care of. I want to be defended when I'm facing trials in my life. That's how we respond. And what are these trials? Well, the trials can be defined as anything or anyone that tests your integrity, your, your fidelity, or your virtue to see how you respond in a situation. And if I could add on to that definition, I'd say where you place Christ and the crises of your life. See, a test can be anyone or anything that stretches you, that tests you to see how you're going to respond, what you're really made of on the inside when the going gets tough. And the sad reality is that we face trials every single day. 
We face temptations, we face pain, we face suffering all the time, and it's so easy for us just to be encompassed by them, to be surrounded by them that we suffocate and we cave in, and we find ourselves wallowing in these moments, lost and not knowing what to do, searching for that anger, trying to process our feelings. But James has a different perspective. He says, rejoice in these moments. Rejoice because the testing of your faith is for your benefit. You know, this word testing of your faith in the Greek is the word dokimon. Sounds like Pokemon, but it's not. It's dokimon, which it means to demonstrate the true quality of something when it's pressured. See, folks, the reality is that your faith life isn't tested when everything's going right. Your faith life is tested when everything is going wrong in life. And trials, they come at you hard. They take the breath out of your lungs. They take the song out of your heart. They take the joy out of your step and they leave you stunned. They leave you wondering, wondering, what do I do from here? But we have to recognize that these things, they're only temporary. And the people who understand that these pains, that these trials are only temporary things in our lives, they learn to push through them because they know something greater awaits on the other side. And James tells us, he says, it's a perseverance. It's an endurance. It's a steadfastness. And this word perseverance is one of my favorite Greek words. It's the word hypomonin. And this word, it means to demonstrate, I'm sorry, it means um, to have the quality that enables a person to stand with their feet firmly planted on the ground when facing a storm. You guys get that? It's to demonstrate or to have a quality that enables you to firmly stand on your feet when you're facing a storm, when you're facing a pressure that exists in life. It's crazy to think about. And so what is James really trying to tell us through all of this? I think James is trying to let us know without a doubt, there are two things that we need to know without a doubt in our lives, that we need to keep rooted in every part of who we are because it's universal truth. And the first one is this, write it down. It's that your faith is constantly being tested in many ways. That your faith is constantly being tested in many ways. That's why James says, rejoice, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. He knows that they come in all different shapes and all different sizes, and that's why we struggle. We can't prepare for them. We don't know what to expect because every time it's something different. It can be relational, it can be marital, it can be financial, it can be spiritual, occupational, professional, it can be health-related. It's all over the place. We are tested in many ways. And if that isn't bad enough, James adds on to it and he says, also, you need to know that your faith is being tested at many times. Not just in many ways, but at many times. They come at you when you least expect it and they test you to the core of who you are. When you're happy or when you're sad, when you're rejoicing, when you're mourning, when you're growing in a business or when you're downsizing, when you're healthy, when you're sick, when you're rich, when you're poor, when your marriage is good, when your marriage is bad. You see, trials and tests, they have no respect of your current situation and they will pull you. They will stretch you. They will test you to see how you're going to respond. Are you going to react in a negative way or a positive way? Are you going to stay and fight or are you going to run and flee? And so James, he's alluding this. He's trying to get us to understand you have a decision to make. 
But these things, once again, they're only temporary. And that's why he uses this word hypomonin. That's why he says you need to have this quality that allows you to stand firm on your feet when facing a storm, this perseverance. You see, what this is, is it's a patience that allows you to be firmly rooted when the world is collapsing around you. I like this picture because I I get this picture when I think of this word. It's this confidence that enables you to remain calm, that enables you to remain at peace when it seems like everything is wrong, that everything is just a disaster around you all the time. You see, I think that this is where we fail as mankind. One of our greatest failures is in learning to wait upon the Lord. Because when we're in these moments, when we're being tested, when we feel that pain, when we feel that suffering, we run to God and say, God, help me. God, fix this in my life. And when he doesn't do it fast enough or in the way that we want him to fix it, we start to pull control back from him. Well, I gave it to you, but you're not responding good enough. You're not responding fast enough or what I want you to do with it. So I'm going to take this into my own hands. I'm going to fix my own problems. You know what I call that? I call that disbelief. I call that a lack of faith. We see it's perseverance. It's a patience that it teaches us to wait upon the Lord, to know that he is greater in any circumstance than we could face that we could ever possibly do on our own. And James is telling us that when trials come, you have a decision to make. You can either choose to engage in the flesh or to walk in the spirit. And that choice is up to you. No one can make it for you, but you have to learn to reject the things of this world, to reject the things that try to capture you, to push you down, to keep you wallowing in pain and misery and keeping you in these trials, to stop running away when things get tough. See, folks, if we'd stop running away from our jobs, from our careers, from our marriages, from our relatives, from our relationships, from our church, from our God, if we would stop running away from these things, God's going to begin to do a good work inside of you. He's going to start to fix things, to give you a solution to the problem, rather than always feeling like you have to flee, that you have to run away. You're going to develop the ability to stay to stand firm knowing that your God can get you through whatever it is that you're suffering through right now, rather than choosing to go the other way. And I think that's also one of our greatest obstacles in life is we live in a world of choices. That if something makes me feel uncomfortable, if something makes me feel out of place or embarrassed, or I feel even the slightest emoticum of pain, it's easier for me to run away from that situation than to address it. It's easier for me to fill my life with some other thing that's going to take my mind off of it. And I keep running from thing to thing to thing, searching for this gratification when nothing will do it. And we live in a world of choices that pressures us and pushes us to do that mentality. But James is calling us out. He says, you have a choice to make. Do you want to keep running for the rest of your life? Do you want to keep wallowing in trials and pain and suffering? Or do you want to be able to stand firm knowing that your God is shielding you, that your God is protecting you, that your God is going to be there for you? The sad reality is I think we all run. I know that we all run because I see it. We're tired from running. We're tired of trying to fill our lives with empty pursuits that lead us nowhere. The only place they actually take us is deeper into pain deeper into trials, deeper into temptations, but it doesn't have to be that way. But have you ever thought maybe 
just maybe that God is putting these trials, these temptations, these things in your life for a reason. He wants to grow you. He wants to develop your character. He wants to build a maturity inside of you. This is what James alluded to. He says, let endurance have its perfect result. In the Greek, this phrase perfect result is the word teleon, which it means to be fully mature where you're not relying upon yourself, but you're relying upon God to provide for you, to take care of you. It develops a maturity to know what truly matters most in your life. And I think that's the point that James is really trying to hit home with us. And I want you to write this down because it's so important that perseverance develops maturity. Perseverance, it develops maturity but he can't bring you into maturity if you keep running away. He can't make you into the person that he has created you to be. He can't fulfill the purpose he's designed for your life if you keep running when the heat gets turned up in life, when things become awkward. And I know that this is difficult. I know that it's tough because that is our inclination to run. But he says that if you stand strong, if you stay firm, if you persevere with steadfastness and endurance, I'm going to help you find the solution to the pain. I'm going to help you get through even the deepest, darkest moments of your life. And it's not just going to be this maturity that allows you to understand this in one area of your life, but it's a maturity that covers over your entire life that you can see what's truly happening, where you truly are in life and know that your God is in control with every part of you. Because you know what the alternative to that is? The alternative to being fully mature is to be fully immature. And we all know immature people, don't we? Some of you are thinking of one right now. You know, we all know these immature people. We don't want to associate with those people. We don't even want to be around those people, right? We would never want to become that kind of person ourselves. And we need to have this maturity grown in our life. And James, he recognized that because he says in this next verse four, let endurance have its perfect result. So you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Perfect and complete lacking in nothing. You see, it's only through enduring, through a pain, through a trial, through a tribulation, through a struggle, do you truly learn to persevere to be mature in the Lord. And that's the purpose that he wants to grow you. He wants to bring you into a maturity where you can see these situations for what they really are. And he's calling us out. James is writing, he's calling his audience out and God is calling us out. He says, you need to mature. As Christians, you need to grow up in this world. You need to stop complaining when things don't go your way. Stop throwing tantrums when you don't get the things that you want. Stop pointing your finger at God and blaming him for the things you know that you are responsible for. That we need to grow up, have faith in him and to wait patiently on him because he can provide. Because he will mature us. He will give us the tools we need to complete anything that is in front of us. And that's the second thing that James alludes to that I want you to write down is that perseverance develops completeness perseverance develops completeness in our lives. That when you stay in a situation, that when you push through, that when you persevere, God begins to grow inside of you. He begins to grow a maturity that allows you to understand what you need to do in that situation. And not just what you need to do, but he's gonna fill you with something even greater to where you lack nothing. This phrase to lack nothing, the word in the Greek is the word lepomonoi which means to want nothing more because you're full. 
It means to be so full of the riches and the blessings and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that there's room for nothing else. There's no emptiness. There's no devoid part in your life. Don't you want that, folks? Don't you want to be so full of the Spirit, so full of God, that when you encounter these trials of many kinds, they can't even take root because he is already there pushing them away. He is already there showing you this isn't anything that can destroy your life because I am greater than these things. He wants to give you that maturity. He wants to bring that completeness into your life. He wants to show you, and I know that it's hard. I know that it's difficult. I know that this is tough for us to understand. And I truly believe that James realized this as he was writing as well. Because look what he says in this next verse. He says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Man, I don't suppose that could be written to us today, right? Because we always know what the right thing to do in every single situation of life is, right? We don't need wisdom because we already know what we're supposed to do. No, we go crazy trying to figure out what to do. And I think it's important for us to recognize here that our perseverance through our trials, well, they develop wisdom. That they develop wisdom. Write this down, that our perseverance through our trials develops wisdom in our lives. It's a wisdom that helps us to see what's really going on, what God is really doing. See, trials, when you persevere, they grow you, they push you, they mature you to start asking questions where you can say, God, what's going on? God, why am I in this moment? God, what are you trying to do through my life? God, what are you trying to show me? And God, when we ask, he willingly gives us this wisdom in abundance. He brings a sense of comfort to our pain, to our trials when we go to him and we seek this wisdom. But we have to recognize that wisdom only comes when we ask for it. Write that down. Wisdom only comes when we ask for it. God wants to give you that wisdom. He wants to build that into your life, but only we get that. Only time we get that is when we truly seek him for it. And how many times do I come to God on the basis of this verse? Or I say, God, you know, I'm struggling. God, I've got this problem. God, I've got this situation that I don't know what to do or how to respond, or where to go, and I'm seeking your wisdom to get me through it. And I know without a doubt that God, he doesn't look to me and goes, Matt, you silly little creature. Can't you see it's right in front of you? The answer is right there. I'm gonna let you figure this one out on yourself. No, he gives me wisdom in abundance because he wants to. He wants to extend his love, his grace, and his comfort even in the deepest, darkest moments of my life. And so wisdom, it only comes when we ask for it. But the last thing that I want you to know this morning from this passage is that wisdom only comes when you believe. Wisdom only comes when you believe, when you trust in God, when you go to him and say, God, I believe that you are greater than the trial that I'm facing right now. God, I believe that you are greater than this addiction, than this pain, this worry, this struggle I have in my life right now. And I'm committing, I'm surrendering to you because I believe you will get me through. It's a belief that stands above everything else. It brings a deeper understanding to your life. And James, he goes on to say this, but he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. 
For that man ought not to expect he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You see, our commitment to God must be fully complete. We can't say we're going to do one thing and then do something different. Yeah, God, I'm going to get involved in a C group. God, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do more Bible studies. I'm going to be a better Christian. And then we step into that lifestyle and it gets too difficult. And we're like, well, I dipped my toe in it and it was too tough. So I'm actually going to go and do this instead. See, James calls that the double-minded man. And you know what this word is in the Greek? The double-minded man, this word in the Greek is this word dysikos which means to be too sold. And what's, what literally blocks us from receiving wisdom from God is not God because he freely gives it to us. It's us. It's us because we're hesitant to receive what he's trying to show us. We're hesitant to accept the reality that maybe our faith isn't as strong as we think it is. And we don't wanna be challenged to fix it. We don't wanna be challenged to make a change. See, James is calling them out. And I believe James is calling us out as well. He says, are you being like the two-minded man, the double-minded man unstable in all your ways? Because if you are, here's the reality, the harsh wake-up call, folks. You should expect to receive nothing from the Lord. So James is challenging us. James is saying, there's a solution. When you're in pain, when you're suffering, when you're reaching out for God, don't run away. Don't be like the double-minded man, but persevere, endure, be steadfast, stand with your feet firmly planted because God can get you through. His understanding, his provision, his wisdom will bring comfort to even the darkest of situations in your life, regardless of what it may be. And it takes faith, it takes commitment, it takes hard work, but there's greater blessings that exist on the other side, if and only if you persevere. So if you're in a trial this morning, folks, if you're facing a tribulation, a sin, an addiction, a fear, a doubt, a worry, a weakness, and you feel like caving, you feel like giving in, or you're struggling, you don't know what to do, I urge you to persevere. I urge you to stand strong in the Lord, to not be like that double-minded man who receives nothing, but to be one who fully believes and has confidence that they can ask of their God for wisdom and know that he will bring it in abundance. And not just a wisdom, but a maturity and a completeness that will deliver us from even our deepest and our darkest days. The question is, are you willing to make that change? Are you willing to stand strong and persevere in the Lord? Because I know that he's willing to do that for you. Would you pray with me? Father, God, we just humbly come before you just searching James's words. Father, knowing what it is that you're calling us to do, that we would stop being double-minded, Father, that we would stop running away when the heat gets turned up in our lives. But Father, that we would search you more. Father, that we would, instead of running away from you, that we would run into your embrace because we know that you are the only solution. Father, that you are the only healer in our lives. Father, and even though we may be caught up in these trials and these tribulations, we see your words, Father. We see the words James is writing that we should rejoice in them, even as hard as that may be, because through them, you are at work in our lives. God, and you are going to change us for the better through them. Allow us to receive that today, Father. Allow us to receive this challenge to maybe stretch ourselves, 
to step outside of our comfort zones and to make that change this morning that we know that we need to make a change of. To start working towards a solution rather than running from the problem. We love you, Father. And we pray that you just continue to show us that you're there every step of the way. We pray this in your name.